Hello. <clears throat> Hello. There appears to be someone crying outside in the alley, so I was looking out the window trying to find them, but... Oh, well. <clears throat> Just checking okay. some levels before we get started, sorry. Okay. <clears throat> It's like um, uh, riding a, a bicycle without training wheels. You're not quite sure if you want to get back on it because you don't know what you changed or did differently and since then. <laughs> and so all the settings are nice and wonky. <coughs> oh. <coughs> uh, w which one is this again? Huh? Yeah, so, uh, how, uh, man, it feels like it's been, uh, oh, at least since uh, 2017, since we talked last. It has been a long week, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so, like, yeah, yeah, I, I um, you know, I was wondering, uh, in terms of uh, what's changed in anything, uh, how, how's the weather down there? Um, well, let's see. It is... Uh, 63 and sunny. Mm, with a chance of crying girl? Oh, no, that's 100%. That happened. Mm. <laughs> okay, well, that, you know, that, I guess that's just a, a thing that happens down there. Yeah, yeah. Nice, nice. <clears throat> okay, yeah. <clears throat> Stretch. Oh, stand uh, up. Let's see. Yeah, so did you actually read the book or... <laughs> Of course I read the book. <laughs> I mean, I meant to say, uh, so, uh, you read the book, too. Um, uh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh, yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, I was watching Max Headroom last night. And is the old Max Headroom, or is it back? No, I wish it was back. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you just made the 13-year-old me, like, get really excited uh, but I know that there's no new show coming back because I was Googling Max Headroom last night. <laughs> oh, didn't didn't Matt Fuller die or something? <clears throat> oh, no. Did he? Am oh. I crazy? Oh, man. Let's I see. hope not because I do love me some Matt Fuller. Let's see. Uh, no, he's alive. He's 60 years old. He's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's good for a little while. I think we got uh, like a... Um, you know, some Douglases to worry about. Either Kirk or Michael before um, a... Uh, someone like uh like Fruer will go so well we obviously know it's gonna be kirk i mean i don't have you seen michael lately though like he looks more ghoulish um kirk's not looking good he's what 100 oh he's 101 good for him yeah and i think he just retired from acting too according to uh some recent sources. i guess he just decided to you know i'm done I've, yeah <laughs> i've had a long enough run I've always preferred Kirk Douglas to Michael Douglas. There's something kind of sleazy about Michael Douglas. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big out of the past fan. And so, like, that performance between Mitchum and Douglas is just, like, that's kind of what I want in film. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, Michael always kind of felt like, hey, it's Jewel of the Nile. <laughs> yeah. Check me out. <laughs> I forgot about those. I'm a poor Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Romancing the Stone, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Th yeah, there was only two of those. I know them both by heart, unfortunately. So, 
I don't think I've seen them in 35 years, but mm. I did watch them a few times, yeah. you know, on my parents' VHS tapes. Mm. Oh, this is such a rich subject because, <clears throat> yes, I had the sequel, but not the original on a VHS. And so is the sequel Jewel of the Nile? Yes. And that was okay. the one I know better, but is not as good a film. I mean, good. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, so uh, to me, and, and especially growing up, whenever you would catch the first one just randomly on TV, it was it always had a little bit more charm to it because I didn't know it as well. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but the yeah, the second one was the one I had on tape. <laughs> yeah, my parents um, they would rent videos a lot, and they they'd uh, they'd get those six hour. They'd have it. Their VHS tapes on the six-hour mode, so they'd have three movies on a tape, mm. and they'd have the times that you would forward to written on the on the inner label. I love that. That's very organized. <laughs> oh, and my dad would have a catalog. He'd have it. They'd be by title, by year released, and by actors. Ooh, so cross you could just flip through. Oh, yeah, that man. This is. <laughs> This this also speaks to something very near and dear to my heart because I have always wanted a system like this, uh, but for comic books because uh, you know I got tons of them, um, mm-hmm. and so like in the pre-internet days of uh, my imagination, I, I envisioned this extremely powerful database that you could search by publication date, by title, and by the characters in the story, mm-hmm. and. Uh, Little did I know that basically that went up online like the day after the internet was invented. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there was something on a BBS somewhere. Oh, I, and I found tons of those. So when, when as soon as I could get online, I would search this shit out, and it was just—I mean, it was so. It, it, for me, it was such a. Um, it was so funny, and it wouldn't be the first time that this happened. Where this thing I imagined is completely envisioned better online. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, do you remember any of the uh, triple features that you had on these uh, super long play tapes that you uh, that you had? Uh, well, they were mostly my my parents, and I I would mostly like watch one movie out of it was just so f- random. There was no rhyme or reason. Just whatever they happened to rent at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could have like Dracula on one tape, followed by because um, they liked anything that sort of won Academy Award, so let's say followed by, I don't know, Casablanca, you know? Mm. It could have it could and then that could have been followed by Summer School with Mark Harmon. Who knows? Right. Well you know <laughs> it, it is probably in the National Registry at this point. I mean, not all my mom liked Mark Harmon, so <laughs> not enough. all of their movies were Academy Award winners. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm I'm trying to remember more films in his Eve um, because that's the only one that comes to mind. <laughs> I mean, I know he was in some show recently-ish, and I know he was in a bunch of movies in the 80s, and I watched them, but I I don't know. I Summer School was probably the, the pinnacle, though. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one I know the best, I think. Um, yeah. You know, so similarly, my parents would wait for, like, a free cable weekend to happen, <laughs> And then mm-hmm. they would go and rent uh, a VCR and essentially just tape everything broadcast <laughs> for like that weekend. Um, mm. Censored to taste, obviously. They mostly featured films, but occasionally they'd get some other stuff too. Um, 
and 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 this was like an unlabeled treasure trove that mm. we kind of figured out over the years and and I think I took the initiative of labeling a few things just for the shorthand um of it uh but yeah it was um I mean we had like a um temple of doom tape in there mm-hmm. um we had explorers on one tape um uh we had an entire ducktails tape that uh was meticulously recorded by my mom strangely enough um hmm. yeah uh that's interesting my my dad uh uh or my mom i probably my mom recorded a whole tape of smurfs for hmm. me mm-hmm. yeah that one seemed... And they'd always be at the pause button, so there were never any commercials on these things. Ooh, see, ours were more random than that. Uh, but um, Smurfs seemed easy to find in my memory. Like, I felt like it was just on every week. So, like, it didn't seem... Like, DuckTales... I mean, maybe this was just my imagination, but it felt like it moved sometimes, and then, like, it felt like it went away and then came back. And so, like, I, I, there was but... something that felt precious about it to me. Um, I think DuckTales was later, too, because this would have been in the early 80s when they were made tapes for me. Oh, okay, yeah. A lot, I mean, it, it, eventually we got our own VCR and stopped renting them, and then that kind of mm-hmm. broke, broke open the, the tape trove. Um, yeah, I mean, I was a TV taper, like, and I was I was one of those people. I bought my own TV guide, and I mm-hmm. poured through it, especially during the week, you know, at night where they would show like an Ealing comedy or a carry on movie or something old that with an actor that are like, like Rex Harrison or back when they would actually list Davis. that kind of like, you know, cast like as part yeah. of the TV listing, you know, and our public uh, television station would have silence sometimes on Saturday nights. So I just, I'd circle uh, what I wanted and I did have a VCR that had VCR plus, but mm. Before that, I would get up like at two o'clock in the morning so I could tape Sidewalks of London with Rex Harrison, uh, Vivian Lee, and Charles Lawton. <laughs> and I then I you know that, that one well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a good um, one to know well, actually. I, I don't, I can't remember. I may, I may have seen that one. I don't, yeah, I don't the, know. The, I don't they, think it so. It was pretty rare. That was well before um, uh, Gone with the Wind. So. Mm. And and I think Charles Lawton might have been the only person that people in America knew at that time because it was a very young Rex Harrison. Hmm. Okay. So. Yeah. See, this is the best part about you know, I mean, I and I, I regularly troll for old movies uh, when I'm bored. Um, is that like inevitably you stumble across something that's like this crazy gem and you've never seen it before, and you're like, mm-hmm. "Whoa, Bogart's in this one too!" You know, like it's it seems like strange to me that i could mm-hmm. reach my 40s and have like regular movie epiphanies where i've never heard of something but you know there we have it like there's just there's so much to watch that like it really is this avalanche at times <laughs> mm-hmm. well i mean when you think of someone like humphrey bogart he you know in the studio system they did x amount of films every year mm. and you know not all of them were were big hits you know they they did some b films especially in the beginning right. And that's the rarer stuff that you keep that one would keep discovering, you know, like, oh, petrified forest. Wow. Look at this. <laughs> he's, he's kind of playing the same character that he's always played. But, <laughs> right. yeah. but you can tell it's early on and he's a little stagey. It's funny. Mm-hmm. Now, I probably have made this recommendation before, but uh, I will say if you go to YouTube and you just search the term old movies, 
mm-hmm. like it's you get a stunning amount of films that pop up and like <laughs> of course the quality uh varies tremendously um sure because uh sometimes people just post like a, a film that like they know is not in a regular circulation but they don't have a great copy of it so they just upload whatever um mm-hmm. Uh, and then for more well-known films, you'll find the problem of people trying to get around the copyright stuff by like cropping the film poorly or some mm. other weird audio echo added to the soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, so mm-hmm. it, it's it, but when you can find a pristine one that's watchable, uh, there's a really large amount of of stuff out there that's like really. I mean, I, I was watching a bunch of Vincent Price stuff around Halloween just because it was there and. It was spooky and yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I used, yeah. My mom would have those on. Like, I don't know if when I was really little, the pit and the pendulum for some reason would really scare me. Mm, yeah. I could see that, especially that film version of it. It's done where they do the camera shots where it's from the person strapped in's point of view. Yeah. And it's like, yep. ah, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's, it's very um, uh, cheesy, but great. <laughs> Yeah, but it, looking at it now, it's the opposite of scary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And well, yeah, man, this is a, another rich vein because the things that terrified me as a kid don't almost have no juice anymore, which is a real bummer because, like, there's very few things that have really kind of like, you know, uh, scare me. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm. I should preface this by saying I don't like gore. And gory, yeah, I don't gory, gory things immediately turn me off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, especially if it's fairly realistic looking, then I, I'm, I just, ugh, this doesn't feel, it's not fun. Um, yeah. So uh, I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about like a horror film where they're built on scares, you know, um, mm-hmm. or shocks or whatever. Um, yeah. And I, I, you know, I think, you know, Alien was the last one that really. Like I had nightmares, like I couldn't turn the light off, like that movie just Mm. right through. And then after that, pretty much nothing with the exception of like maybe a couple of X-Files episodes have really, you know, gotten to me. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So uh, kudos to Alien. (laughs) Yeah, I'm trying to think of when I, because I I saw Alien as an adult Mm. and Aliens. Yeah. So I'm trying to think like... For me, the biggest, scariest movie, and, like, looking back on it now, it was freaking ridiculous, mm-hmm. but um, The Abominable Dr. Fibes scared me, but it was the mm-hmm. specific scene where he drills a hole in the ceiling, and he puts syrup on the woman's face, and then, like, puts, oh, like, yeah. locusts on it, and she wake and, and, like, in the morning, she's just, like, a skull face. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, for, for a big part of my life, I had to sleep with a blanket over my face, because I could not... I was so scared of that. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, as for as terms of a, a terrifying childhood memory, because I mean that that'll stick with you for years. A nice good skull face, right? <laughs> and I don't even I haven't seen it as an adult. I know she was some kind of nurse or something, but I haven't actually looked into what the situation was with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. I didn't see Alien when it came out either. I saw it uh, much later um, as a as an early teen. Um, but I remember mm. my parents took me to see Raiders in the drive-in, uh, mm-hmm. and you know I was fairly young, maybe like six, 
you know? Yeah. Pretty, it, yeah. I mean, I was not, I mean, it, you know, it was, I think that movie's an 81 film. Um, it might not have been first run, but it was pretty, I was pretty young. Uh, so I, I'm loving every bit of it until the face melting at the end where. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see that. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for the longest time, I didn't know what happened after that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and which is funny because I love uh, Indiana Jones films like right through and through. <clears throat> but that one in particular for oh, gosh, I must have been like 11 or so before so, I knew how it ended. <laughs> so the scene from Temple of Doom, you were OK with that by the time that came along? Oh, you know, you know that one also terrified me, too. OK, because like, that was pretty scary. <laughs> yeah. Like I remember for a long time. I slept face down on my bed covering my chest because I was afraid of someone pulling my heart out. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it scared me, but it fascinated me. Like, she just pulled his heart out. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and, and that was the one that we had a tape of, too. And so I, it was like... Um, you know, uh, drinking or doing drugs or something like that. I had to build up a tolerance to be able to watch that all the way through. Like, <laughs> you you know what's funny? Like, Temple of Doom did not terrify me at all. Somebody actually got their heart ripped out. But the Twilight Zone movie, um, the mm. one where the little boy had controlled his family, you know, and his sister had no mouth. Yes. And for for whatever reason, the the no blood nothing in that movie scared me but her with no mouth so like my brother would walk around with like his hand over his mouth trying to scare me all the time because i was really little and that was super disturbing you know oh man i'm trying to remember the last that's that has got to be at least 20 years since i've seen that probably more I think that was a remake of the uh, Cornfield one, though, right? With I think the... so. Yeah. I, I mean, know, if I remember correctly, it's it's kind of homaging that. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. It was like he brought a teacher home or something, and and then she saw all the stuff that he did to his family. Right. Yeah. I mean, like it has. I, I mean, Amazing Stories kind of had that same vibe to a, a couple of things, if I remember correctly, where there was like a an all powerful someone that was just not not happy. I think it was the zoo episode of Amazing Stories. If I'm not oh, I loved Amazing Stories. The only one I remember was, I think, the first one with the train. Mm. But I, I watched it every week. Yeah. The, the, I, I remember I watched that train episode when it was aired. And mm-hmm. then I watched it spottily after that. Because it was, um, how should I put this? Um, sometimes my behavior interfered with my TV schedule. Uh, oh, okay. So, uh, so I was, Sunday nights were iffy for you. Sometimes I was in bed already, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, for whatever reason. Um, <laughs> uh, you know how kids are. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of, I've been um, watching uh, the almost three-year-old uh, much more often lately, um, uh, and. Uh, Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, I feel really bad about most of the things I did uh, as a child, almost up to like 25. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You realize how selfish you actually were. Oh, man. Because like, I, I see her do stuff and I'm like, oh, I did that all the fucking time, didn't I? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, and, I mean, and, and, you know, I know that I didn't bring this upon myself because I didn't 
breed the child. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, so, but, but uh, I mean, regardless of how the child is socialized or, or raised or anything like that, that it, it, it goes without saying almost three is a terrible age. Like, Oh, sure. You know, I think most people will say any time in the two year old. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah. There's a cliche <laughs> that I'm trying to avoid saying, but, uh, I mean like it, it, and it's not for, it's not because the child itself wants to be awful. It's like mm-hmm. it's because the, the child doesn't know better. It's it's learning. It's pushing boundaries to figure out what the world is. And well, I, I there was I think it was cracked, to be honest. I think that there was an article saying that American kids cry so like over 2000 times in their mm. in their infancy. And this is not normal around the world. Like we're just kind of whiny babies mm. in this country. Interesting. And I don't I don't remember what their <clears throat> what their premise is for why this is. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, <clears throat> the measurement of uh, us crying more often probably is unrelated to any, I mean, you could just guess why that is as much, but it's an interesting measurement. And I'm sure there's plenty of like cultural vectors where that could be coming from. Well, I mean, it all has to do with like, your, with the selfishness of kids, you know, mm-hmm. they throw their little tantrums if they don't get what they want. Yeah, you know, I, I'm not experiencing that as much. I mean, she definitely is much more insistent um, <laughs> uh, about uh, Moana uh, or, or uh, that stupid Pets movie that I refuse to watch again. Um, <laughs> uh, <coughs> oh, I did that. I watched movies over and over. How many yeah. times did my parents have to sit through Annie? Mm, see, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough, because Pete's Dragon. Oh gosh, I probably forced that on my parents a bunch too. Oh man, you know, see, right now maybe I should sit through Moana a few more times just to take the punishment. Maybe. <sighs> man, well, and, and okay. Um, while we're on the subject. She has a hit or miss taste, um, <laughs> which is part of the problem. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. So like Moana, good movie. So that one's okay. Uh, but I can't do it in like over and over and over and over doses. You know? Sure. Um, and, and especially because, I mean, that movie will make me cry. It is <laughs> It is a good movie. I, I mean, uh-huh. like, it's very emotionally manipulative, but it, I mean, it's... I mean, it's a beautiful story. I don't need to tell anybody this. They, it, people know about Moana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this little uh, company, uh, maybe you heard of them. <laughs> they make these films for children, um, um, these tiny movies. Uh, no, but but uh, so the, the other side of that coin, though, is this stupid uh, Secret Life of Pets movie with Louis C.K., which like just, ugh, it grosses me <laughs> out now. To, that we, oh, the whole Louis C.K. situation. Yeah, yeah. Well, just hearing <laughs> hearing the dog in this movie talk just reminds me of him now, and like, yeah. And so I'm just like, and, and and the movie's not gonna age well uh, at all as a film. Like it's so contemporary in so many ways, <laughs> and that like, you know, it what it would have been good as is a whole bunch of like eight minute gags that you run on Saturday morning. And not mm-hmm. like this crappy, terrible, forced plot that doesn't work <laughs> that they mm-hmm. kind of shove onto it over top of that with like modern hip songs and like, you know, all the human characters are these uh, um, background Brooklyn hipsters, you know, like mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that film is just not going to age well at all. <laughs> um, so that's one reason I don't want to watch it. Uh, mm-hmm. 
But I, <coughs> the the variance in quality is just. I mean, I feel like I'm talking about this a lot lately. But I mean, it's on my fucking mind. Like I am just shocked at how bad a bad kids thing is. Uh, yeah, Paw Patrol, it, all oh, that kind of stuff. And she loves <laughs> Paw Patrol. If, if if she would let me put that on, she would just watch that. Oh, so, yeah. Oof. We have a mutual friend, um, Crystal, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, I've 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 seen I've been hanging around with them a little bit, and they have their kid watching stuff like Power Rangers and Voltron. I'm like, all right, this is pretty cool. You know, they're pretty good at curating what he watches, yeah. so he's got this impressive uh, knowledge already. Well, and, and that's the thing too is that they're very good about kind of just making sure he doesn't even isn't even aware of the crap. Yeah. <laughs> like I mean I don't know 100% but like we're we'll be in the car and he'll be watching Voltron. I'm like I still like Voltron. Voltron's really awesome. Good for him. Mhm. And while Power Rangers is not my thing, you know, because I love old. Um I think that, you know, if I were young enough I would have adored it. Yeah. No, for sure, for sure. And I think um well uh you know, uh, again, like there's something about that kind of programming or show that kind of like sends um it, it's more like active it more it kind of activates the child's imagination in a way that like i think paw patrol just like completely stifles it like it's sure it's spoon, there's nothing there it spoon yeah. feeds every moment of everything to the kid so the kid has right. nothing to like reach out for you know? i mean i like a lot of parents hate caillou and i honestly oh. haven't i haven't watched it but i know that my little friend gabriel likes it yeah. Um, but he'll, you know, I mean, he'll also watch stuff that's fairly decent. Like, uh, I don't, I don't know if he watches what's her face, um, Dora, mm. but that's the kind of thing. It's like, yeah, you learn something there. I mean, he already speaks Spanish, I believe, but you learn other things too. Like, Hey, don't steal, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like de- decent behavior. <laughs> right. <laughs> so <clears throat> can we, I, uh, can we pause for one, can we pause for one moment? I'm getting a weird hum on the line here and I'm just trying to solve this how are you how, uh, uh, hello hello there we go okay I, I again you know I feel, I feel like I gotta dust this thing off and figure out what the knobs do um, <laughs> so yeah a, a, anyway <clears throat> you... so I sent you a file in Skype mm, mm-hmm mm-hmm and it's totally unrelated to, you know, our, since this is our book club episode, you know, we're talking about mm. Ulysses, the novel by James Joyce. That's the, <laughs> the book that we both read. Yes. Um, yes, that we that we loved and, and, and read, you know, and, and understood completely. Yeah. And, so then we, and we were going we to get together today to talk about it, right? Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, sure. So okay. this file, apparently <laughs> the company Old Spice, mm. they... um. For whatever reason, they came up with a new class for Dungeons and Dragons, oh. and it's the gentleman. <laughs> and this is the, uh, the the specs for it. <laughs> okay, okay, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. Uh, the gentleman, let's hear it. Yeah, and uh, I kind of think that we really need to get this D D and D podcast of ours going because I think someone should be the gentleman. Yeah, it's kind of like an overpowered bard. And it would probably drive me nuts because it looks like he does stuff that seems kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. And also it could be gentlewoman. Ah, um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there, but, there, there's plenty of those. 
But I think that this would be an amazing class to actually bring into the podcast because, it, one, it's new and it's kind of stupid. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And two, you know, it might just be fun to see how it works out, but I would have to convince one of those people to play the gentleman. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, well let, let, sell me on the gentleman. What are some of the defining characteristics of, of this uh, said gentle person? Um. Well, I'm just, I haven't read the whole PDF yet. <laughs> Uh, but it looks like what they do is they have these basic attacks, like uh, punchline, um, you know, catchphrase. Mm-hmm. Okay. That that pleasurable smells at the seventh level. Mm, yeah, yeah. You finally mastered hygiene. <laughs> uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Um. Let's see. Biceps stronger, strong convictions at level nine. Mm. Wardrobe change at level thirteen. It looks like they do light armor. Um, Do you get like it, special bonuses to your roles when you're in like coffee shops and there's people sitting around you? Um, you know, maybe. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Oh yeah, because uh, so, uh, uh, I'm, I'm just trying. I'm. I again, I haven't read. It. I should have read it. Um, <laughs> but if you look through this PDF, I think it would be actually kind of hilarious to have this. Oh, at level 17, they get a new haircut. <laughs> a new haircut. I love yeah. it. Ooh. Now, now, now that that's something that uh, rarely comes up in D&D is the um um uh the need to uh, to to um take care of your hygiene, your and whatnot. Right. You know, like uh, um <clears throat> So I, let I, me just read you the punchline spell. At the first level, <laughs> gentlemen gain their signature punchline, a humorous phrase to confound their enemies. The target must succeed on a wisdom saving throw or take 1d4 damage and apply a minus 2 penalty to the next attack roll it makes mm-hmm. before the end of the next turn. Uh, which means you say something clever and your enemy doesn't handle it very well at all. Again, it's like a bard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, this ability's damage increases by 1d4 every fourth level or so. Which, uh, it's a small spell. It sounds almost like a cantrip. You know, 1d4 isn't much. Right. But, uh, yeah. So... I like this. I like this because, I mean, you know, um, I, you know. To to be fair, you know, some of the uh, old D and D classes and whatnot do feel like so completely seventies, um, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> for lack of a better way of putting it. Uh, mm-hmm. And so th- this does kind of like modernize things uh, in a way. Um, I, so I imagine the gentlemen. Do they get like a bicycle of their choosing or? Um, I imagine low impact on the environment would be a concern. Uh, it doesn't appear to be very hipster. Hmm, okay. Um, so we're mo- it, we're moving more in the like he would probably be prepared for every situation because he wants to pe- put people at ease and be a gentleman. Yeah, he has a sword that um that flares into a bouquet of roses. Mm, got it. it and he's carrying a three-headed puppy, and there's all three heads are smiling. Aww, a little Cerberus. <laughs> yeah, and he has a little dagger on his belt, and it looks like I don't know some kind of phone situation. Mm-hmm. And he's wearing a, a a suit, a tuxedo, I think even. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So this is the guy who, <clears throat> you know, he RSVPs for the party. He offers to bring something that's not chips and not ice when he shows up. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He uh, um, talks to everybody there uh, and introduces himself and makes everybody feel welcome. Uh, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. he checks in before he leaves. Right. Yeah. Wow. Right. And apparently there's a matrimony 
uh, spell at the 15th level, mm. the gentleman may propose marriage to one humanoid monster of equal or lesser CR that he encounters during his travels. The player must speak the proposal aloud and then must succeed on a DC 20 fortitude saving throw for the proposal to be accepted. And there's a whole table of modifiers. A ring would be plus five, flowers would be plus three, and so on. Oh, that... Mm, kudos. The, the gentleman and monster become bonded for life, and the fiancé sp- slash spouse is now a member of the party. Hmm. <laughs> oh, so they play a little Yoko uh, game as well. Right. That's fantastic. Uh, if married, the gentleman cannot attend any social gathering past 10 p.m., but will always have a warm body to cuddle up next to. Yes, yes, yes. Not cold <laughs> in the winter is a major benefit of the gentleman. Yeah. yeah. If his counterpart is killed, the gentleman must go into mourning, meaning he loses five levels for the remainder of this session. The matrimony feature can only be used once, one time ever. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and then he's a widower with, the, <laughs> with different uh, skills and abilities that come with the widower class. Uh, uh-huh. you, uh, that, that, and that includes an um, antiquated hobby that no one else really participates in, like slot cars or uh, sword uh-huh. making. Um, uh, this also includes uh, a monochromatic wardrobe. Um, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, pretty much the same every day, actually. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think the widower doesn't have as much uh, in terms of physical strength, but it can pretty much outthink any monster. Right. I mean, so you so you can see that this would be an interesting class to actually have. No, I'm in it. I'm I'm in I'm in it to win it. Like, uh, I might roll me up a gentleman after we're uh, we're done chatting. Uh, it says that it's not. Com- it says it's compatible with three point five, but. I think if if you look at the spells and stuff, I think you know you could decide which ones would be cantrips. I think it could be modified to work with fifth edition. Sure, 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 sure. Well, and 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 like any other class or whatever, we can also just add to that character other things that would make it more interesting as well. You know? Sure. Yeah, I like I the mean, idea see- of like a you know like a gentleman orc, you know. <laughs> oh my god yeah right you know like really refined you know br- uh-huh. brings a nice wine to the party but like everybody's like what's the orc doing sure you know except you actually in see... your world it would be different because they like orcs but yeah yeah i mean like let's say if, if i have mind flares like i could see that being the one that you would propose to like the boss mind flare <laughs> right <laughs> oh yes that would be fantastic <laughs> So then not only would you have that mind flare, but you'd also have his controlled army. Mm, now we're getting into some big D&D guns. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So you save it for the big boy. You don't just propose to any old knoll that you come across. Mm, for sure. For sure. For sure. I mean, like, there's a monster around every corner. I mean, but sure. you're, you're waiting for the monster that really completes you. <laughs> right. Like the mind flare. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, a lot of people will just, you know, snuggle up to any old thing that lives in a crook of a tree or, like, underneath a rock. Oh, yeah, um, some kobolds. Mm-hmm, yeah, but I mean, like, you're holding out for the person that actually has, like, a nice tomb, you know? <laughs> yeah, or, you know, a dragon. Mm, now we're that's the big guns right there yeah <laughs> i love it your party goes up against a dragon and like you just decide to cast matrimony instead <laughs> right right oh uh, shit dog uh <clears throat> i have here because i am 
<laughs> because I am the uh, since we're this is our book club episode. Mm-hmm. Since I'm the DM, I have yeah. the Draco the Gotta, Draconomicon, which I, is I have it right here, the book. So you have the Draconomic. Oh, oh, you know, you, the book we were supposed Ulysses. to read. Sorry, yes, yes, yeah. Ulysses. Um, I, the book I read. I mean, um, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the book we both read and love very much. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Especially the middle part. That whole uh-huh. section there was fantastic. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Ulysses was mm-hmm. doing stuff mm-hmm. but this this is the draco nomicon so like i could pick an old dragon and you could just mm. one could just propose marriage to it yeah 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 let's this is like um going through the personal ads in the newspaper what, what, what kind of dragons we got to, uh, this week uh let's see just pick a page at random here yeah. uh fang dragons by age let me go mm. to the beginning of this fang dragon i like that fang they, dragon. they sound like they like to party uh let's see Challenge rating. Um, eh, sure. Uh, an adult, mature adult, is tw- challenge rating twelve. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I mean, you know, whatever. Uh, fang dragons are greedy, rapacious, and cunning creatures. Their bodies are armored with bony plates that run into projecting spurs at limb joints and end in long forked tails, tipped with a pair of scythe-like bone blades. They fly poorly, but can rise with a single clap of their wings to lunge forward. So that's uh, not a very cuddly dragon to propose marriage to. Yeah, I'm thinking that those cold winter nights are not going to be too... Yeah, yeah. You You're might... probably going to want a red dragon then. For sure, for sure. No, oh, yes, yes. I like... the. I like And, and red, I mean, red goes with everything, so... Yeah, like, you well... You really coordinate with that. Or black. Mm-hmm. But I think black dragons aren't as big. I think red dragons are the biggest, or maybe white dragons. I might be thinking of Dungeons and Randomness, though, so <laughs> don't. Uh... I mean, to be honest, when are you not thinking of Dungeons and Randomness? I mean, I was thinking about it today because I, I know what happens in the new episode and I don't want to listen to it. Oh. Or, new meaning last week's episode because I've been listening to the Babysitter's Club Club podcast obsessively. <laughs> did you read those books when you were growing I did. Up? Okay. So yes. You, so you know them. Yeah. Well, I read them up to a certain point. I I think I probably read maybe the first 30 and then I was out. Mm, okay. So, yeah. so the stuff I'm listening to now is way beyond when I stopped. Yeah, but yeah. the podcast is hilarious. They're just creating an entire world of conspiracy theories. I mean, <laughs> it's these two dudes and they're super funny and I would recommend it to everybody. That it's just you don't have to have read the books. Mm-hmm, yeah. Or care about them. <laughs> Because I, I want to play Wandering Frog Person with somebody. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, like, I, 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 a lot of people like to comment on, like, oh, you know, the golden age of podcasts has come and gone, or like, oh, it used to be better, but there's stuff coming out now. I, I don't know. Like, I keep hearing about shows like this where I'm like, it, it'll never die. Like, there's no no one has done the 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 ultimate podcast yet. Like, like right with, with shit like that around. Like, there will always be more to to digest. <laughs> yeah, and the age of your Mark Marins and your Nerdists, I think it's kind of passing. Those sure. podcasts are not very compelling anymore. Yeah, I mean, Nerdist retired. It's now uh, the uh, uh, idiot. Uh, <coughs> pardon. Um, the, uh, I was wondering what that big announcement was, but I didn't care enough to look it up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the short version is uh, because he sold Nerdist to Legendary back in the day, uh, they want to control more of the Nerdist brand for Nerdist-related stuff. 
And so mm-hmm. he has kind of felt like it's time to just separate the podcast and uh, let them own the name Lock, Stock, and Barrel. Um, sure. So short version, uh, which I mean, it's it's funny because like essentially he kind of invented a lot of what people think podcasts are, you know, like he, um, I mean, having done it for so long, uh, he was, I think, a very big name early on that like sparked the public's imagination. Um, mm-hmm. And so this is what I thought uh, a fairly risky move to completely abandon a, a brand that he essentially built from the ground up. Uh, but uh, apparently nobody seems to care too badly. People who like him still listen and people who didn't yeah. care don't care. So. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I feel the interview podcast with the same handful of celebrities, or I guess in his case, he can get some pretty big people and Mark Maron as well, but it's really stale. I'm just, if I see a podcast, I mean, a professional comedian who interviews the other professional comedians, you know, you know what I'm saying, <laughs> sure. right? No, for sure. Yeah, because there's definitely, um, and it's almost a bit of a trope too, because like there, there's like, you know, five shows where if people put out a new book, album, movie, whatever, they want to mm-hmm. be on those five shows. Um, yeah, and the interviews are kind of almost always the same. Like I was listening mm-hmm. to a Paul Thomas Anderson interview. And afterwards, I was like, did he say that on Marin or with Hardwick? Yeah, right? Or did he just say the same stories again? <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> yeah. like, there's this, there's some part of me that feels like, uh, you know, it, it, there's very few people that want to do a show and and be different each time. Like, some of these celebrities, they... I feel like they just kind of barely understand, oh, it's like radio for the internet. I get it. And then they just talk about right. the movie or, or whatever. Well, you have your Paul F. Tompkinses, who is like basically professional podcaster at this point, uh, and 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 the fucking genius maverick of the genre. I, I, I everything he touches is phenomenal. Like that guy, yeah. that guy, oh, yeah, that guy. and and John Roderick. You have those two people where like just mm. whatever they do, it's just you just want to sit there and just listen until they're done. Yeah, for sure. For it's like sure. Shh, shh, John Roderick's talking. <laughs> Although I have to admit, Ken's pretty funny on the new one. Like he, I mean, I was I was a little skeptical at first because I was like, eh, you know, I don't know this guy from Jeopardy, but like he's mm-hmm. he's actually pretty funny. Like he, he, you know, it's like, I mean, he's not um professional comedian, but like I think for podcasting, he's better than some who are at it. <laughs> sure, why not? Um, you know, he's got a lot of knowledge for sure <laughs> that makes him interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, he, I guess he's a comic book nerd, right? A little bit, a little bit, yeah. And and I mean, what I have gathered, and and I am by no means deep on um, omnibus, unfortunately. Uh, I, I'm a casual listener. It's just, mm-hmm. just it, it's a couple times a week. It's a lot to consume. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, it, what I gather mostly is that like he's just like because he's done a lot of fascinating things, he's becoming a very interesting, hilarious guy. Like mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. if he had just stayed at home and had read a lot of trivia books and not become the celebrity that he became, like mm-hmm. he probably wouldn't have as much to say on a show, but like, because he got to travel around because he got to meet all these people because he's become a bit of an icon in our culture that I think has made him a more interesting person. Mm-hmm. You know? Like I and I hate to say this because it sounds like a backhanded compliment, but he seems like somebody where he needed that jolt in his life to become the interesting person that he is. Right. 
I feel like I, I'm probably one of those people that I just need something. I don't know what it is, but yeah. Well, maybe it's your take on uh, Ulysses that's going to I, really, you know, sell you as this uh, cultural icon. I am the classic not living up to one's potential situation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is the story of our generation, though. <laughs> <laughs> right? We spend Sunday afternoons making podcasts instead of changing the world. <laughs> I mean, we're we're ex though, you know. We're mm-hmm. never going to get our moment in the sun. Yeah. We we got past. We got overtaken by the baby boomers for our whole lives, and the millennials now have. They're taking over, and you know what? More power to him because I don't really want the responsibility, if I'm honest. <laughs> mm, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. This is the um, uh, the, the problem uh, with like making big change like that is that like you either become someone who has devoted their entire life to it, where you do nothing else but like serve the public in trying to affect change. Um, mm-hmm. or you become like the ultimate, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, a moderator, uh, expert or what have you, mm-hmm. who sits on a TV show and goes like, well, here's what's really going on in the world. <laughs> and you don't really do anything. <laughs> what is our place though? Like in terms of generation X, mm. cause uh, I think like, we're just like, just leave us alone. <laughs> like that's our whole thing. Just just go away. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a there's a little bit of like an isolationist groucho in our generation, <laughs> you know, in that like we really want to kind of like poke fun at everybody at every mm-hmm. opportunity, but like not if the stakes are too high. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. We, I feel like, I don't know. We just, it's not bad that we never got our moment in the sun because it's like, what well, you know, really, what were we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, and like it, to be, to be brutally honest, okay. So people in my generation are in their forties and fifties. They're mm-hmm. sometimes a little bit racist. They're off, we're off. okay. We're, you could say that about millennials too, though. No, for sure, not for perfect. sure. No, for sure. But I'm I'm just saying, you know, like as a generation, we still have a long ways to go. You know, like there's still people that are my peers who say the most horrible things. And then they think that 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 they're progressive because they're like, mm-hmm. oh, but you know, I don't say the n word anymore. <laughs> well, I think that's a a people problem. Where we're, as a society, we're really trying to outgrow that. No, and I think it's for the uh, um, efforts of the younger generations that are helping mm-hmm. make that. Oh yeah, the millennials. Are, but at the same time, the millennials can go a little too far with the call outs and stuff. Mm. You know, it's like they're they. they They'll they'll modify as they get older. Sure. Not like to be like that guy that's like, oh, when you get older, you'll understand how the world works. But they kind of will a little bit. Yeah. You know, when they when they're not in college anymore and they kind of have to go out and live in the real world, they, you kind of have to learn to get along with people. I know that sounds really like dismissive, but no, you're totally right. This goes back to my taking care of children thing, too, is that like as you get older, you start to realize that like all of your bullshit actually stinks and Mm -hmm. like you need to kind of like weed out that part of your own behavior as well as call out the, I mean, don't get me wrong. Kids Mm -hmm. actually can see shit happening in the world that we can't. So like, Mm -hmm. please keep calling us out. Like I'm totally willing to admit that I'm wrong. Uh, But I think that age also tempers that impulse to just, um, police every moment of your existence right um and you realize that like oh you know there's some value in trying to 
have my community get along sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, it doesn't always have to be a fight, you know? Mm. It doesn't always have to be like, wow, you're a bad person because you think this. It could be like, you know, hey, you know, maybe take them aside. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to I don't want to get off on this because I am no John Roderick. <laughs> well, I mean, very few of us are. <laughs> <laughs> but I just I feel like when people and I'm not saying this to be like, oh, you know, you college kids, you don't live in the real world. But mm. when they have to get a job, when they have to pay bills and when they have to worry about things in their lives that aren't abstract, mm. I think that a lot of them will change a little bit. You're absolutely so. One of my, in my previous life, I was also taking care of freshmen in college, um, mm-hmm. which is a different game entirely because essentially, like they're paying to be in your presence, mm-hmm. so like you kind of don't have to baby them as much as you know, <laughs> like other mm-hmm. students um, mm-hmm. who might be there because it's public school and they have to finish and whatnot. Right. Um, and uh, it, th- there's definitely like a strange that moment where they suddenly see the finish line of their degree and they realize Mm -hmm. what's on the other side of that is either more school or getting a job and both options are kind of terrifying. Mm -hmm. Like that moment, I mean, like I saw it over and over and over again with students, like where they suddenly had this dawning realization of what all of this meant. And it was like, they they looked horrified, you know, mm-hmm. and the same. And I, I think the only benefit I had in my particular path in this world, I think, is that I took one and a half terms of college right out of high school, hated it, got a job, did that for ten years, and then chose to go and finish my degree. And something about that, I think, helped me see things a little yeah. more realistically. You know, I had ten years of getting the shit stomped out of me at dumb fucking jobs that I hated. Right. And afterwards I was like, okay, now I realize how awful the real world is. <laughs> right. But it's not a bad thing to, to, because your perspective is your perspective. It's not a bad thing to not have a real understanding of how the world works. It's just mm. part of growing up. Yes. So there's nothing wrong with these people. In fact, they're like you said, they're pushing the culture forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. And, and I like the way that you, put that too because like we really do love to shame each other for every mm-hmm. fucking reason that we can find and like right. the reality is there's no reason to shame anyone for mm-hmm. like their particular education choice you know right uh, or if they choose to do a job rather than follow some sort of passion that they're really interested in um, right or maybe there's not a passion that fits that same kind of category except the job that they have so we should respect right. that <laughs> right like i i do not have a degree and i just have a job i just do data entry and a lot of people would say oh well that's a stupid job to have as a 40 year old adult but it's it's a job that pays my bills i have a nice place to live and it's fairly low stress and I can listen to podcasts all day, you know, and there are things like I have constant overtime, which is part of the reason why this week has been so long between episodes. Right. Yes. Like all I do is work. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> yeah. It's that, you know, and that is, a, um, uh, not to try to normalize it or anything, but that is a fairly common thing that people do. You know, they mm-hmm. have a job, they have a place they live, they manage their time fairly conservatively. And, mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the, the most of the world isn't out there trying to like make the great 
piece of art right. that will change the world. <laughs> you know, right. uh, most people just want to make sure that their families are okay and that you know. Right. I had to go through a phase, and maybe it wasn't even that long ago, where I was like, you know, I'm okay with not being successful, quote unquote successful, you know, not having the big glamorous career, not having the big great American play, you know, right. um, th- it's okay to be a consumer. And I don't mean a consumer, like I'm gonna go out and buy something. I mean, like, I'm gonna watch Netflix tonight. <laughs> it's okay not to create, it's okay to have thoughts and not, you know, write a book. And mm, I yes. don't, I, 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 I also had like a lot of epiphanies in the last couple of nights, you know, I've, I've been a really selfish person. I'm really trying to stop. I mean, everybody is. Hmm. I'm. I was not like horribly selfish or like the worst person ever. But and 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 I've had to be okay with a lot of things about myself. Hmm. And I think that that our society wants us all to be ambitious. We want to have unfettered growth, right. and growth means more money, uh, promotions. Um, a new car, a new house, you know, more things, more stuff. And I'm like, but the life I have now, although it's not perfect, and yes, I would love to be making more money, um, it's an okay life and I'm happy with it. And I think that people spend more time trying to acquire than to sit back and just be like, you know what, this is okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with being in the place where I am. Yeah. Just because I'm not actively working towards being something bigger doesn't mean that I'm not having a good enjoyable life you know what i mean i mean i could be justifying laziness (laughs) i mean perhaps perhaps but i think another vector for this is that like you know who are we to judge the interior life of a person and whether or not it has reached a point that is full and meaningful you know like right i mean people you know all over the world are making decisions about their lives where the culture at large would kind of demean them for making that choice, you know, like right. you're not ambitious enough. You're not right. You get know, a real job. Yeah, you know, exactly. Go to school, get a degree. And it's like, but I mean, and I believe from the bottom of my heart that the person working at the gas station, the person working at um, Barnes and Noble, everybody who works a full time job deserves a full living wage. And a living wage means enough to be able to buy your own house by yourself, right. to be able to go on a vacation every year, to be able to have a savings for your retirement. Um, and, you know, that is a lot of money. Right. right? Well, and, and but, like you're getting at something that's like almost philosophical because like people always say, well, a living wage is this many dollars an hour. And what you're saying is like, no, a living wage is where all of the stressors in your life have been eliminated, where every day you kind of wake up and you go, you know, I'm going to work today and I feel good about it. And when I come home, I have everything I need. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you're selling, people think that, oh, well, you're doing a stupid job that anybody could do. But what I'm selling is my time. Mm -hmm. What I'm selling is my life. And if you think about it in that terms, like whatever little piddle, like the people who work minimum wage are selling their life for nothing and they can't even afford to live a decent life. And that's not fair. There's a, I saw this thing on the internet and I wholeheartedly agree with it because a lot of people who own small businesses hate minimum wage increases, you know, and they, and, and the, the reply to this was, well, if raising the wages of your workers would cause your business to go down, 
then it's time for you to admit that your profits are all on the backs of your workers. Mm, zing. No, you're right. totally right, though. I mean, like, that's how the business makes money is by, like, right. reducing the benefits and the pay that they give to the employees. Mm-hmm. And if you can't afford to have an employee living a great life, then you can't afford to run your business. Like, we, like employee pay just gets stagnated and cut, and, you know, and we get our jobs threatened all the time because... You know, they want to send them overseas where they can get even cheaper labor. And in in the end, that just means that it's all bad business practices because people get frustrated. They get angry, you know. Well, and, and it's the expectation in this country that a, a business is only successful when it's making a profit. Right. And like, oh, and it always has to be growing. Yes. Expanding, growing. This is why the Bookmines, you know, the store that I started in was a small part of a chain but a small store nonetheless that was managed by a person that lived in Eugene uh, mm-hmm. and by the time I was done working in the book mines I had been subsumed into the larger parent company where mm-hmm. nobody gave a fucking rat's ass about me <laughs> right <clears throat> and and these are all things that are symptomatic of a sick society if I'm honest yeah. because everything has to be exponentially growing every day everybody has to be super ambitious everybody has to be working for the for you know the the doctorate or or the big successful job that their parents can brag about and it's like that's not the life I want to live I'm still I mean I'm afraid when I'm old I'm gonna be I made bad decisions and I'm gonna be you know in a bad place but I have I have to stand by the fact that this is who I want to be you know, I don't want to spend years in school. I don't want to have a middle management job downtown. Mm-hmm. And I don't really want to be working overtime for my job, but this is all just temporary. It's not just something that I'll be expected to do forever. Yeah. No, I think that you know, you're hitting on something that I firmly believe is that like when you make a choice about the kind of life that you want to have and the way that you want to live it, there shouldn't be this whole like string of people standing in line waiting to tell you what you've done wrong you know? right <laughs> you know like the the and i feel like that is very much the culture we have at large now is not only does right. it have to expand and increase and make money as much as possible but then the minute that you choose to do anything that kind of feels slightly outside of the norm there's a whole group of people that are ready to tell you what you've done wrong and why. <laughs> right. There's no one who wants to respect that decision as like, oh, hey, maybe this person weighed all of the options. <laughs> maybe this person is like, you know, I think I'm going to do this because this is what I want. <laughs> right. And again, I know it sounds like I just want to be lazy, but I'm not lazy. You know, <laughs> I just don't want whatever society thinks is a success. I don't want that for me. Yeah, no, that I, I love that. I mean, it, you know, who is to say what Angela's version of being a successful person is but Angela, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I mean, I can make some guesses as your uh, co-host, but... <laughs> <laughs> I just, this is part of, like, all of my epiphanies, like my selfishness. Like, I, I would know someone and they'd, you know, they'd be 45 years old and they'd be working at, like, I don't know a submarine store or whatever. And it'd be like, why, why are you doing this? Why, why do you want to get up at one o'clock in the afternoon? You're 45, you've got kids. Why don't you like, you know, take care, better care of your family. But then I'm like thinking, well, that's what they want. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the life. I mean, yeah, they might be, 
making bad choices financially in terms of having to live off of people. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know, and I, I'm, I'm being very coded here, but, um, the person, if they listen, will know that I'm talking about them. Mm. Um, but that's not for me to judge. It's not anything to do with me. And I need to just leave it alone const- and keep my eyes on my own paper, basically. <laughs> right. Yeah. Now, that it, it is something that we do love to do in our culture is kind of find a way to, uh, you know, essentially look at the work someone else is doing and then judge them based on that. Um, I, I mean, I run into this a lot now because most of my life has become freelance in some form or another. You know, I do radio, mm-hmm. radio and podcasts and childcare and some substitute teaching. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, a little bit of this and that. And uh, sure, you know, uh, I'll, I'll do that for a hundred bucks. Uh, <laughs> right. And there's nothing at all wrong with that, though. That's right. in, like people would be telling you, like, when are you going to get a job? Right. So I get that a lot. Or the other thing, too, is someone um, and, you know, like this is not uncommon at all people do this everywhere i'm not alone in this but you know someone will walk up to you and they'd be like so what do you do you know yeah and i'm I like hate that that's always the first question like that doesn't matter yeah and i'm like you know if, if i explained it to you would you have as much interest as you are pretending to have right now because i i part of me thinks no <laughs> right um but i mean like the other part that you so keenly picked up on is like why does that matter for us to have a conversation you know yeah like, why don't we talk it, about the fucking book that we both read? Like, that's a more interesting conversation. Right. I hate that the first question we ask somebody is, what do you do? Mm-hmm. What What about, like, what? what's your favorite song? Or, you know, what, what oh, kind of movies great. do you like? That's more interesting yeah. than what your job is. Because a job is almost never interesting. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, like, very few people are lion tamers. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I mean, if, if we were all Anthony Bourdain, then great, but we're not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have fewer questions for him than I thought I would, you know? Like, yeah. if I was to meet him now that I think about it, I'm like, mm, you know, I think I know everything about you that I need. Yeah. You do, uh, do you want a drink? Like that's Yeah, I have no, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, my mom took me, she was really into the Food Network for a while, or Cooking Channel, whichever one it was. Mm-hmm. And at, before the Torrance Borders that we used to both used to work at closed, they'd had both Paula Dean and Rachel Ray at different times. Oh, interesting. And she dragged me to see, well, not dragged me, She, I went with her to see them. And it's like, they had no, she had nothing to say to them. Like, everything that they gave to her was on the show or in their books. Like, there's nothing else they had for her. So she just got their autograph and moved on. I mean, there was nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, I, I feel weird about that too, because like, I don't want to yuck people's yum, but I always, I always wonder about, so that, that's what you want to do with your free time? You want to meet that person? <laughs> yeah. And by the way, this was pre Paula Deen's uh, racial stuff. So. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. I mean, cause that, uh, that's kind of where I was going with that, but I guess that's a different issue. If you don't know, then you don't know. <laughs> yeah, this was well before all that came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, this, this so this long week that we've had has kind of been <laughs> since all of this big cultural push to make people have consequences for their bad behavior, um, which I am like incredibly fascinated by, like seeing all the Weinstein's finally get kind of pushed mm-hmm. out. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just it, it feels like a moment, and I, I keep having to remind myself that it's not even. A moment it's like the pre-beginnings of real change 
you know. Well, we'll see because <laughs> there's going to be the backlash. I mean, we're going to lose an Al Franken when we lose a Weinstein, of course. Yeah, I feel bad about that one too because I do or Dan Harmon. I mean, I I liked those people, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm having to move on with those feelings and go. That's not enough. Like these people yeah. are bad. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, but I it, mean, one could choose to still enjoy the work. Yeah, that's that wouldn't make you a bad person if you're still like, yeah, Community was actually a really great show. Sure, yeah. sure, and he's not the only person that made that show what it was. Um, right, uh, you, l- literally and and figuratively. <laughs> that, I mean, that's another part of culture, and I'm not excusing it by any means because I'm like, absolutely, we need to look at the way women are treated in society, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's and it's wrong. Either, and we think that just because we can get jobs and wear pants that we're okay, we're not. We're still the underclass, but here's the thing: I'm 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 pr- totally behind people losing their jobs if they're total monsters, right? That's no problem. Mm-hmm. But is it do do we completely abandon all of their work at the same time? You know, right. what do you do? Like Miramax had so many movies in the '90s that mattered, right? Right. Do we say well? Harvey Weinstein was behind these, so forget it. You know, no more clerks for me. Mm, yeah. You well, know? I mean, it, it sounds like Kevin Smith's not the greatest uh, person either. Um, maybe not mm. in that sense, but um, yeah. uh, for other reasons. Uh, but sure. I get what you mean, too, is that, like, if, if we suddenly excise all culture because this awful person touched it, mm-hmm. we're suddenly, we get into a book-burning kind of situation, Mm-hmm. Where like whatever lessons we can learn from culture made by monsters, uh, you know, we need those as much as we need the ones by completely clean, un, uh, tampered with, uh, pristine members of our culture too. You know, right? Um, I, I don't know why, but this reminds me of a uh, interview with Joel Hodgson uh, about Mystery Science Theater. Um, because uh, he's Christian. Uh, he went to a Christian college. Uh, and he went to school to talk about performing and entertainment. And mm-hmm. his thesis was about, can Christians be funny? Hmm. And his conclusion was, well, your religion should have nothing to do with it. You should just be funny first. And right, then exactly. your faith should inform it later. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, while it's not a, a perfect analogy, part of me feels like, well, you know, the behavior of this person is hopefully separate from the work. Um, Mm -hmm. And so hopefully there's something to be gained from this work. And then in a bigger context, we can look at the cultural behavior that's inappropriate. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I mean, I I will tell you, I do get disappointed when I hear someone's a hardcore Christian. I'm not going to lie. You know, it's Mm -hmm. just, it's just a a reaction that I have. No, I, I, I'm the same way, same way. I, it made me, all of the things that had bothered me about Joel that came through in interviews and whatnot, I felt like it hinged on that one piece of information that I finally got recently. Mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I mean, and, and I do, I love mystery science theater and I even really like Joel quite a bit. Uh, mm-hmm. But he, um, he has some points of view and perspectives I don't agree with. Sure. And a lot of people that I like, I mean, you know, there's I could rattle off a ton of examples where their personal beliefs are not ones I agree with and yet I still enjoy a thing they made right Um, and I'm trying not to let that interfere with my perspective or my point of view because Mm -hmm. 
I, I could well, very quickly be the asshole where I exclude like a whole, well, I'm never watching anything with this kind of person in it again. And then suddenly I well, sound like a fascist. <laughs> right. I mean, the big one, the easy one is Scientologists, right? Mm, yes. So you can be like, oh, I don't want to watch anything with Jason Lee in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, Danny Elfman, forget about it. Beck, oh, I can go without his music. But like mm-hmm. Beck's Scientology has nothing to do with you know how good Odile is I can still enjoy Odile <laughs> and I didn't know, you know anything about his point of view when Odile came out so right. like I mean that's the other thing too is that like I don't think that knowing the behavior of people is going to make usual suspects a worse film you know right my love for that movie still fine like it, it was it was a good movie beforehand it's still fine right. now it's just right. that my problem and this is the part I think that most people should be clear about is with the behavior of the people that were in that film much after they were in that film. <laughs> right. You know, um, I mean, it, it, it's also OK to be like, all right, that's it. I'll never watch another Kevin Spacey thing again. That's fine, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's also fine to be like, yeah, I acknowledge that this person was an awful human being and he did bad things. But I'm still going to enjoy House of Cards or whatever, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so so here's the, the conversation I'm very interested in having. And I don't know how to have it or when to have it. But is there a path to redemption for some of these people? Well, I think that, first of all, we would need to acknowledge that there are shades like, for instance, a Roy Moore it does not mm. equal an Al Franken. You know what I mean? Right. No, for sure. For sure. It would take like 15 Al Frankens. <laughs> right. And not saying that what Al, that uh, it's okay what Al Franken did, but we need to stop putting everybody in the same basket. And mm. we need to understand the different shades of what they did wrong. Um, I don't think there's a road to redemption for someone like a Roy Moore because he doesn't care. Yeah. He thinks there's nothing wrong with it. He's not interested in redemption. And he anyway. lost anyway, so who cares, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, I would hope so for someone like a Kevin Spacey or an Al Franken or a mm-hmm. Harvey Weinstein even, although I guess his was really deep and long-lasting. But And he seems less re- repentant. True, true. But, I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. So I guess my big question is, like, uh, the way through this is that we have to start looking at cases individually and and whether or not this person actually wants to change. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, I don't know. I don't know if if they should be able to come back. I don't know. Um, You get your Matt Damon's who are like, you know, because he's a dude and it's, you, you naturally want to protect your own saying like, Hey, this is a witch hunt. And then, and then he, and then a few weeks later he apologizes. So it's like, well, is that okay then? Are are we good? You know, he didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we just, we demand so many apologies and I'm not sure that apologies necessarily matter. Mm. I think that what matters is not doing it anymore. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Well, and and, it, and there's some sense in my mind, too, where, like, um, calling it a witch hunt is misunderstanding what's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and even, I mean, like, this is why I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing. I, I want this to be happening. Um, but I definitely feel like the tone of how this is... Uh, approached you know like Mm -hmm. i don't want to be coming off like saying like 
let's go and find more people that are breaking the law and, you know, uh, banish them from our culture immediately. Right. I'll, I'll lead the hunt, you know. Um, but at, uh, at the same time, like, I want everybody who has committed some horrible act to find a moment where they finally are having justice exacted against them. And maybe that's an awful fascist thing to say, but I want that to happen in the world. It happens so rarely sometimes. <laughs> well, I think because there are shades of, of wrongness, part of me just wants to be like, I don't have to know about everybody's transgressions. I, mm. I don't have to have my brain space taken up with this. Yeah. If they could just take a moment and reflect and be better people, I think I would be okay with that right. rather than scandal after scandal. Mm-hmm. No, for sure, for sure, for sure. I think um, the be- big benefit of this is that, like, it does lead to more reflection. And I think that there, you know, it's catching more and more people, not enough, but uh, hopefully eventually, um, more and more people who are saying, like, wow, what's, what is, am I doing something? Is, is, is there behavior I've done poorly? You know, like, I think it's starting <laughs> to ha- cause people to ask questions, the right kinds of questions. And right. And that's why I feel like it's good. I also feel premature saying that, like, we've had a moment, <laughs> you know, because I feel like it's just the beginning. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. Yeah. Well, it's got a lot more. Well, I mean, that's what happens when you read something like Ulysses, right? Yeah. No, there's I mean, there's <laughs> so much in this book. I mean, like, yeah. we couldn't possibly talk about it in yeah, just yeah. one <laughs> podcast, you know? No. I mean, but we probably won't ever talk about it again so, because we both read it. Fuck we, no. It affected us so deeply. <laughs> I, I, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, you know, this gets at something that I was going to bring up actually is the problem I'm having with books. Um, you know, because like I used to work in the book mines. Uh, mm-hmm. And so every time I look at my bookshelf, part of me is now looking at it with an eye of like, which one can I get rid of? Oh no. Yeah. And it, and it's just cause I want to try to keep them all on one shelf. Like there, you know, there's too many that are like sitting on top of other books and you know, like I want to try to get it to be like down to just one shelf. Um, and uh, yeah, I just, uh, they're, they're, you know, like why do I have a book called generation X? The backlash starts here. By Jason. Oh, is that from Mad Magazine? <laughs> Basically, it looks like it. It's by Jason <laughs> Jason Cohen and Michael Krugman, and it's an analysis of Generation X, but it was done in like 1995, 1994, or something like that. I mean, oh, I, when, so when we were still relevant, yeah, then. <laughs> Evan Dorkin does the illustrations. You know, it's like got that milk and cheese vibe to it. And I mean, like this book was hilarious one time. In the 90s when I read it. (laughs) And now the only time I've ever opened it is to look at those uh, Evan Dorkin illustrations and go like, oh, oh, yeah, those were kind of good. I I don't know. I I haven't passed on to that phase yet. I have at least seven and a half bookshelves full of books and books stacked on the floor. So I am I, I just like I just love having my books around me. I love being able to pick up all kinds of subjects at any given moment. I don't want to get rid of them. Hmm. My CDs, however, those <laughs> are just in boxes in the garage. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm in next to the pile of books is the is the piles of CDs as well, <laughs> and about four boxes of comic books. Uh, see, ten boxes of LPs. What else am I getting rid of? <laughs> <It's> just, <laughs> um, but I mean, this is the thing. They're all still in the room. They they haven't gone away yet like there's still mm-hmm. that last and, and, and like 
part of me, I don't, I'm not saying I want to get rid of books because I don't like books. I mean, that's not what I'm saying. But like, I, I, I want to, part of me is like my taste, like something needs to be done about my taste in books. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, like some of them are fine, but like, I don't know why I have all these onion collections, you know, like, oh, I hear you. You know, I, I mean, there was a moment where the onion felt like genius. And then now I'm like, why do I have like, you know, the best of the onion volume 16. And I'm like, oh, really? <laughs> what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> I don't need this. It's all on the internet. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at some of my books now. I didn't get a lot of those connect, those collections, those humor books from the nineties that, mm-hmm. that I'd be like, yeah, I don't need this anymore. Um, I'm just trying to look at like what I might have that is so irrelevant. I just, I don't know. Maybe I didn't buy those books. Well, like, you know, so here's an example. Dishwasher Pete's book. I've got that and I'm never getting rid of that. That's a fucking great book. Like mm-hmm. Dishwasher Pete, love you forever, you know. Um, but I mean, right next to it, I have like a fairly pristine copy of the Odyssey that I have not read. Uh, well, if you get rid of that, that'll make room for two or three books. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> my that you haven't read? Oh, we're not I, the I, Odyssey, not Ulysses. You know, see, I have. Well, yeah, for sure. But uh, you know, I, I I've read Ulysses. Uh, but I, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, yeah. we uh, both have right. But um, with the Odyssey, like I have a copy I like that I have read, and then I have this other copy. Like, why do I have? <laughs> well you know so it's like it's my taste and and it's just all over the map it's the selections poor like the someone needs to go through this collection here and and what what we need to do is we need to find someone who used to work in a book mine and uh, (laughs) have them do this section because this section is sucks (laughs) well i'll tell you like for like for let's say homer right let's say for the odyssey Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i uh I might have the poetry version, but I like the prose version, mm. even though it's so bodlerized. It's I feel sure. like I'm an idiot for wanting to not, not wanting to read an epic poem. Oh no no no! I it, mean that my first version was a like a um you know illustrated classics version. Like mm-hmm. you know, however you get to that story is fine. <laughs> I mean, I have it's an adult. Just it happens to be translated into prose. Yeah yeah. Is it the um, Fitzgerald? I don't remember. It's a, it's a mass market somewhere maybe. behind a book or something. Fitzgerald might actually be more poet. You know, I haven't picked up my favorite copy in a while because I've been tr- trying to. I mean, I have been slogging through this uh, sequel, Ulysses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, but my point, my my point being is that like I I really wish that some part of me as a younger person had picked up better things and had like a slightly more curated collection. Because I don't need the Smithsonian Book of Comic Books, which is a largely a reprint of Superman comics. Mm. Like I don't know mm-hmm. why I have that. <laughs> I mean, at one point, maybe when I was a young teen, I would have read a book like that. But uh, I haven't been interested in Superman in a long time. Yeah. Superman's not a compelling hero. I'm just looking at this stack of books I have. Uh, I have like the Gorman Gas trilogy, mm. and everybody loves it, but I hated it. I thought it was badly written. I thought it was uninteresting and I thought it was just nothing compelling about it. And I'll probably never get rid of it, even though I'll never read it again. (laughs) Yeah. See, this is the problem. Like, you know, for some reason I I have a connection to some of these books that I shouldn't have. (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, I've got old Bloom County and I've got lots of graphic novels, lots of those essential Marvel black and white reprints. Mm, but those yeah. are fine because I can dip into those anytime. Yeah, I don't. Those are good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, like I just oh, there's so much stuff now that like I need to start reevaluating the um, relative value of these things in terms of you know okay sure I'm actually going to pick up my Lester Bangs book again I know that I'm gonna probably pick up my Sarah Vowell books again maybe uh, I mean I went through a phase I haven't read her as much lately but I really liked her uh, mm-hmm. uh, but like perfecting sound forever. Greg Milner's analysis of the history of recording technology. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to read that book again. <laughs> yeah, there are some books that just get out of date. Like I have a book right here about it, and it is definitely from the 90s. It's called MP3s, you know, and <laughs> it's one of those, you know, one of those books for people that don't really know what they're talking about. Yeah. And it tells you about it, it's a whole book of just on MP3s and that book is like 25 years old. There's no way that any of that information is relevant today. I could probably get rid of that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, you know, uh, you want to keep it right next to the Y2K survival guide. So, right. like, you know, that's why you hang on to it. And I have extremely old Linux manuals. Like, mm. that, that, Mandrake doesn't even exist anymore. It's Mandriva <laughs> or something now. And Red Hat is so far beyond this. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. And you could Google all that information if you ever really wanted to look at an old Linux manual. <laughs> yeah, I don't need command prompt stuff anymore because it's all GUI based. Mm-hmm. I can just point and click at everything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How, that, dang. Yeah, no, I see. This is my problem is that, I, that we, we, in a similar vein, we have a lot of cruft on our bookshelf that we probably don't need. But like, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I think what's going to end up happening is that anything that is still of any value to me uh, emotionally, I'm going to have to put into like a box like my comic books and then just mm-hmm. get rid of the shelf because it's starting to annoy me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it just it just feels like a wasted space for things that I'm not reading. And yeah, you know, that's not that's no way to live. Mm. Well, it all depends. Um I have so many books that like my roommates, like you can't bring any more books in here without taking some out, (laughs) (laughs) which I mean, yeah, that's a totally decent attitude. Let's be honest. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I've really, I don't really buy books. I, I, I basically fill up my Kindle now. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a smarter way to go. I have one. Everyone has one, you know, there's, I mean, between overdrive and, uh, like, um, enough of those websites we can download like tons of free you know, uh, public domain books, like you would never want for something to read. You know? mm-hmm. yeah. uh, I think the, the the bigger question in mind is like, what kind of person do I want to pretend that I am? And I'm, <laughs> you know, like I think having a big bookshelf of this supposedly great works of, of literature that I thought were like amazing when I worked in the book mines, like mm-hmm. I don't think that's actually painting the picture of the kind of person I am. I don't sit around and read novels on my days off and go like, oh, oh, that well, was a fantastic uh, little bit of uh, <laughs> of uh, mystery there. Hmm. <laughs> well, let me let me walk over here. Okay, my bookshelf. I, I I have long past gotten the point where I care what people think of the stuff on my bookshelf. But on my bookshelf, I have a novelization of the Dick Tracy movie. Mm. <laughs> Okay. I have, I I have, 
How to Read Body Language in 30 Seconds. Mm. I have Life, the Universe, and Everything. Essential. A, a Joyce Carol Oates book. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thomas Wolfe, You Can't Go Home Again. <laughs> and Vasari's Lives of the Artists, you know, about different painters. And these are all just one little stack. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 there's no rhyme or reason. I don't organize them. There's the Godfather novel next to a book about a really... Uh, soapy book about vampires mm. and then there's Woody Allen's side effects you know <laughs> no, you, it is a truly varied collection that's great that's great See, well, okay. let's see I can read the uh, top shelf here we've got um, uh, uh, um, Hitchhikers uh, Quintet um, okay. we have a book of pinup girl pirate drawings Okay. Uh, we have Ways of Seeing by Berger the uh-huh. rhetorical tradition, which was a textbook when I was in college. Uh, then we get into the Burroughs, Brodigan, uh, Borges section of the bookshelf. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a bunch of Dune books. We'll keep those. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 kind of a mess as well. <laughs> I mean, that that wasn't representative of my collection as a whole. I don't just read trashy books. I mean, <laughs> but like, I don't care if people look at my bookshelf and they don't notice the, mm-hmm. you know, the mm-hmm. tale of Genji that they notice, <laughs> you know, yeah. the, the Force Awakens novelization. I don't care, whatever. <laughs> Oh, is that is that good? Um, I bought it because there was supposed to be some stuff having to do with Ray that wasn't really in the film. But yeah, it's worth the read. Max Allen Collins, mm-hmm. you know, who writes a lot of these novelizations, is really good at it. Cool, cool. Yeah, you know, I've been so into the new Star Wars films, and I feel like they kind of keep going in more interesting directions. That like, yes, you know, I loved Last Jedi so much. It, this is how long it's been this week. Oh my gosh! Yes. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know it. it um, I left the theater just chewing on it relentlessly, and mm-hmm. I really loved the. I mean, I I haven't seen it a second time, but I really want to see it again just because I feel like there's more to suck out of that, you know. Right, and uh, as far as Star Wars goes, I think it really pushed the series ahead. I, first of all, I think we're not going to be focusing on the Skywalkers anymore, and that's positive. Yeah, yeah. And secondly, we've they've sort of expanded the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, sure. it, it doesn't seem to follow all of the tropes. I loved every second of it. I thought it was a great addition to the film that I'm sorry for all of the fanboys who can't deal with the change. Whatever. I'm sure there's, there's plenty of uh, terrible anime for them to watch and get mad about. <laughs> um, but and, and yeah, for sure, for sure. Cause like, uh, you know, I thought, you know, I mean, they already kind of knocked it out of the park with the first film in terms of casting. Um, mm-hmm. which was just like such a great, you know, ensemble of, of, of mm-hmm. like new and old uh, actors. Uh, but then this one, which is kind of like the anarchist Star Wars movie, where it's almost mm-hmm. like I'm going to tear down every fucking thing that you know about Star Wars <laughs> and just you have to deal with it. Oh, and Luke dies. <laughs> Spoiler <Right>. alert. <laughs> and I think that most of the people's problem was one, Poe got put in his place by women and men don't like that. What? And two... Laura Dern got put in charge instead of Poe, but why would they put Poe in charge? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he was he's he's basically reckless and not part of the inner circle, you know. Right. So like it makes sense that yeah, no, that uh, that argument is dumb. That section of the film served very specific th- 
things, I think, you know, in terms of kind of like the different levels of um, hierarchy of like who's in charge of what, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it also established that like, you know, when the chips are down, there's a lot of women in charge here that know what they're doing and you got to learn to be okay with that, (laughs) you know? And that's an important thing for Star Wars to say. Yeah, I mean, they could have just had Poe be another Han Solo and everything just end perfectly, but he screwed up and he kept screwing up until he learned his lesson, and yeah, I appreciate that. For sure. I mean, they, you know, a lot of people have read that scene in a hundred different ways on a million different podcasts, and I'm not really wanting to reiterate any of that, but I think that if you have a concern with the way Star Wars is representing something, uh, like... I, I don't I, I don't have any sympathy for you. I'm so, I, you know, like watch something else. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. what Star Wars is now. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it already always has been. It's just that now we're getting it solidified in new and interesting ways, you know. Right. I honestly believe that The Last Jedi is the best thing that could have happened to the Star Wars franchise. Yeah. No, it's 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 sending a very clear and awesome message to uh yeah. to uh to fans. So. Mhm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I think, um, God, I, I want to watch it again now. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's such a cool, um, it's such a cool thing to see all this stuff that, like, you know, I know I've said this before, but like, I thought Star Wars was over in my life, and now it's come back in such a big way. And I oh, it was those prequels were dreadful. Yeah, but I mean, it just it doesn't seem to be, even the the books kind of felt a little meandering, and it just felt like the franchise had kind of. Yeah. petered out and then like i mean it's almost like it came back with rocket boosters you know? yeah well that's because they had to get rid of lucas unfortunately yeah for sure he he he, he did the basic hero's journey mm-hmm. and that was wonderful but th- he he didn't have enough creativity to take it to where it is yeah. i i get that the fr- that the prequels were based on the original the star wars script i get it that that was always there mm-hmm. um but the execution was just terrible. It was boring. All three of them were boring, especially the first two, though. Yeah. You know, I've never seen the third one of the prequels, so I really have no idea how that all wraps up. Uh, kind of don't um, care. <laughs> I think, if I'm honest, it was probably the best of the three, but that's not saying much. Yeah, I mean, like, slogging through the first one in the theater felt bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, I was on a date, and I just left super disappointed. Yeah. Um, it took me a few days to kind of realize that it was as bad as I thought it was, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And then the second one I saw on video at home, I didn't even finish it. I think I've seen most of the second one. I've even I've talked about this with my wife, that maybe one of these days we should get, like, super drunk and slog through the Star Wars prequels and just laugh at them, because, like... Yeah, I, I can't but imagine. there's nothing to laugh about. It's all politics and, and, we just laugh and at sulky the, Anakin Skywalker. Laugh at the ineptness? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, It is a, a, a Star Wars reference point that is blind in my my mind, so um, it might be kind of funny just to to watch that and laugh. Mm, maybe, now that, now that we've gotten out of that horrible era and we're in a golden age for Star Wars again. I even liked Rogue One, and a lot of people didn't like that. But I, we did talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I liked that one too. Yeah, I think I think we're getting into the we've talked about this phase of the show. <laughs> yeah. Well, it has been a, 
a pretty long one, but again, it's been a long week since yep. the last episode. It so. has, it has. <laughs> well, yeah, we we might as well uh, be in post show mode right here, so because I think we got a lot of a lot out of that. That was good. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, we didn't get to uh, Ulysses, but oh well. <laughs> <sighs> Next time. Sure. But this was the book club episode. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs>